Hello and welcome to another episode of Setting the Tone, an ER retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth and with me today as always are Lauren, Ahoy hoy, and Daniel. Hey! Today we'll be discussing Season 2, Episode 2, which is titled Summer Run. The episode aired on September 28th, 1995. Lauren, what was going on this week 25 years ago? Well, I'm going to first off apologize to all you Kiwis out there because I'm about to really butcher this name, but Mount Ruapehu in New Zealand erupts. The event was successfully predicted in the weeks leading up to it, and no casualties were reported. Wayne Brady divorces his first wife, Diana Lasso. That almost sounds like a Wonder Woman alias. (laughs) Thank you for chuckling, Daniel. Um, Seven and Showgirls both debut, with Seven taking number one spot at the box office. It was a pretty close race, though, from what I saw. All right. Showgirls wasn't that far behind. I'm trying to think of a good what's in the box joke, and I can't make one. Just say, what's in the box? Um, And Gangsta's Paradise by Coolio is still number one song. All right. And then with this week's episode, we're down just a little bit, but uh, still at a pretty high, an absurdly high by 2020 standards. 33.7 million viewers for this week's episode. Uh, this week's episode is directed by Eric Lenouville, I think I'm pronouncing that right. I hope I am. Um, this is his one and only ER uh, episode that he directed. Um, he has directing credits. Seems like he's kind of a veteran uh, TV director. He had a lot of credits um, on his IMDb, uh, most notably shows like St. Elsewhere, which I'm going to guess is probably how he got this job, was directing several episodes of St. Elsewhere. Um, NCIS Los Angeles uh, and The Mentalist more recently Um, and then uh, this episode is written by Lydia Woodward a veteran of season one um, and really the series as a whole Um, she wrote Going Home Another Perfect Day Happy New Year Make of Two Hearts and Motherhood in season one and this is her sixth out of 27 episodes that she will write over the course of the series. And we open this episode with uh, Carol. She's doing her ride-along with Shep and Raul from our from the last episode that was mentioned. Um, and I'm going to um, I'm going to take take some issue. You know, everyone's pedantic about different things on the show. That's why you love us. That's why you listen to us. Um, mine is Chicago geography, and. I think it's Shep who says, oh, yeah, they're running to Humboldt Park at California and Division, which is wet. It's west of the city. It's a little, little north and mostly west, um, which was a which used to be a more a rougher neighborhood than it is. So their their caution with I don't know if it was bad enough to warrant um, bulletproof vests like they're like they are putting on. Um, but in the shot, they are clearly at Wabash and I think Van Buren is the cross street, if I remember correctly, um, which is an awesome shot, you know, to, to get, cause that street runs, cause Wabash runs right along under the L. Um, so you get a really nice little view. You get a really nice little view there from a cinematography perspective, but you can clearly see the Harold Washington library in the background, which is very much in the core of downtown. <laughs> So they are very much in the loop, and I will shut up about this now. <laughs> but uh, but you have two patients here uh, with gunshot wounds. They're laying in the street, you know, blood blood around them. They're sort of yelling at each other about the patients. There's the one guy has brains all over the street, um, and they're in front of a crowd of onlookers. Neither really has any vitals. The one dude is clearly dead. The other one, they think they can maybe save um so they decide to scoop him up over the over the other one uh cops finally show up towards the end of the scene to give some crowd control and yeah that's the last that's the last we see of the least the one the one dead body um and then from there we go in with a bang so bangs are solid still no twinkles still banging all over the place still banging all over the place a uh, little, little poor taste after gunshot victims <laughs> Then after the intro, we have uh, our first audio clip of the episode. We have Benton, you know, running around looking for Carter. Carter never anywhere to be found. Um, but he runs into Carrie instead, so let's listen to their conversation. Lydia, you seen Carter? Not lately. Hey, Carrie. Hey, Peter. Is your sprouts? One ER rotation together, and that's what you remember about me, huh? They're dead. I need the space. So, uh, how's it going? Uh, my first day here, and I've only upset Doug Ross. That's not too bad, huh? 
You must be losing your touch. Good to see you again, Gary. Thanks, Peter. No can do. It's not the kind of attitude that we encourage around here, Bob. No can do, don't you? Love saying that, don't you? No can Anybody do. seen Carter? Anybody seen the chocolate donut that Bob refuses to bring me from the cafeteria? He's in exam four. Dr. Weaver said no more food errands in a property of personnel. Just love Dr. Weaver, don't you? Appeals to that whole Germanic thing in you. I am Polish. Screaming points, curtain to. All right. So several things going on here. First off, Bob is looking fresh as hell. I love Bob. No can do. Just and just very proud to be Polish. I am Polish. Um, you can clearly see there's already some a little bit of building tension between Carrie and Doug, which we will have come to a little bit of a head later in this episode. At least the the first the opening salvo, let's say, of the war between Carrie and Doug. <laughs> And then Carter's always nowhere to be found because yeah. he's a fucking idiot. So I adore the interaction between Benton and Carrie because she's like, I know you're an asshole hippie who loves to eat his good food. And he's like, I know you're difficult. And they're just like, great. See you later. <laughs> like it just sets up right there that they just respect what each other can do, but they're not getting in the weeds with it. Yeah. And they don't have to because they work in different departments. But just, just, yeah, I need room. Your sprouts are dead. Yeah, and I think of all the major cast members, too, I feel like we get the least amount of crossover between Weaver and Benton going f- as we go forward. Um, so it's nice to kind of start with them here to establish a little bit of groundwork for a relationship that we don't really get to explore that often. So that's kind of nice. Yeah, and um, the other thing I wanted to say here was just, like, I love how we start to see how Carrie's already got her hands in everything. Yeah, wasted no time. It's her yeah. first day, and she's already meddling. Yep. So it's it's going to be interesting to see where she ends up. So then from there, we get a great um, shot of Raul riding the patient on the gurney um, into the trauma room while he's doing CPR with this um, gunshot wound victim. And Susan's got some real cute feisty lipstick on in this trauma. Just she's She's working it today. And... They're working on him, and all of a sudden, just he explodes on one of them. Just blood everywhere. And it's just like, oh, God, no. That's so much. Like, that can't be good. And for the record, he doesn't literally explode. No. He just has a huge <laughs> Lots gush of, of blood. blood. Yeah. We got a gush That would be a whole... That, that's a whole other storyline that, that happens at some other point. <laughs> and I want to point out, too, uh, I think it's in the scene here where... Um, Shep is doing um, some chest compressions and I had to remark in my notes like when I was watching the episode like those were the probably the most competent set of chest compressions I think I've seen throughout the course of the Mm. show up to this point like they they looked pretty legit without actually like hurting the person he was working on so I had Mm -hmm. to had to give him kudos for that he did a really good job was it Shep or Raul riding the gurney? I'm pretty sure it was Shep. My bad. It That's was fine. it was Shep doing the chest compressions. I don't know about who was riding the gurney, but it but I th- I think it was him then because it was somebody doing chest compressions as they were going in. So my bad. So c- quickly we jump over um, and rejoin the search for Carter uh, and Benton finds Carter asleep in exam room three, um, but he doesn't only find Carter. He also finds our new medical student that we met in the last episode. Uh, Harper, who he kind of bursts in on as she's buttoning up her shirt um, and she's like bitching about being late for rounds. Like, I guess she overslept and uh, tells Benton very kind of matter of factly, just dismissively says, you know, hey, if you're still here, tell him thanks when he wakes up. Like, clearly, this is not a big deal to her. And they really don't like implicate that anything has happened here. But I think that's sort of the impression we're supposed to get from Benton's perspective is that like something fucky went went on in this room like it's it's a a weird scene for him to walk in on especially because he's you know looking for carter specifically um yeah and so it just leads to a really funny uh exchange where after she leaves he gets very close to carter and you know shouts his name and we get more physical comedy from carter and i appreciate that quite a bit um but we we leave from there we go back to the trauma room and uh we have um Carol trying to kind of summarize the trauma and Weaver just like cuts her off immediately and wants Susan to do it. Um, and she kind of 
kind of gets um, gets to the point. It wants Susan to get to the point more so, um, and wants her to call it. Wants her to call the time of death because the the guy at, at this point they've been working on him for about forty five minutes. He's got he's in asystole. He's got no heart rhythm, no brain activity. Like if they were able to bring him back, he would be a vegetable at this point. So it's in everyone's best interest for them to just call the time of death and be done with it because they've got um, two. Um, motor vehicle accident patients coming in that they need the room for so it's kind of in everybody's best interest for them to just go ahead and call this one and it kind of illustrates the Carrie Weaver brand of like dick move but she's right which is kind of her brand always like she's very abrupt and very blunt about things but she tends to not always but she does most of the time tend to have the bigger picture in mind when she says and does these things so so then we Switch back over to Carter and Benton. They're down in the fancy cafeteria discussing just kind of like what Benton walked into this morning. And Carter's like, nothing happened. We didn't sleep together. And Benton's like, I couldn't fucking give a shit less. Um, and just don't oversleep. Yeah, just don't oversleep. Whatever. And um, they're like, they're walking over to the seats together. And Benton goes and sits at this table full of doctors and is like, and just completely ignores Carter and Carter stands there for a second, like, looking to see if there's going to be an opening. And when there isn't, he just awkwardly kind of smiles and, like, goes and sits at a nearby table just watching them all eat. <laughs> sits at the little kid's table. And, like, I, yeah, lo- I love and- how he looks, too. Like, he still yeah. looks over at the other table. And I'm very intrigued to see if one of the big moments this season is going to be him getting to sit at the big kid's table. <laughs> It's like that moment when we were all growing up. It's like when we finally got to move up to the normal table and thanks at Thanksgiving. Shit, yeah. It was a glorious day. Um, but after that, we have our next little bit of setting up Carrie meddling in things, meddling in the norm. I, I say meddling like it's a bad thing, but she's she's putting she's stirring the pot. Let's say she's implementing process improvements that not everybody agrees with exactly we'll go with that that's the very diplomatic way to put it that's the business way to say it well you are a businesswoman i do in fact do a business but uh we have this next audio clip is carol and carrie talking about some some new procedures that will be taking place around the er carol you scared me i know i do that to a lot of people sorry and I'm sorry I didn't realize who you were earlier. Oh, that's all right. You uh, enjoying the paramedic ride-along? Yeah, it's kind of fun being out for a change. Oh, good. You know, I've been reorganizing a little bit. Can I run something by you? Okay. The doctors really need to write down their orders when they give them. No more of this three hours lay of crap and blaming the nurses if it's not done. That'd be great. And I think the residents are capable of cleaning up after a procedure, don't you? Are you going to tell them that? Sure, why not? And they're going to stop peeking through the charts, picking the most interesting cases. I mean, you don't get a choice. Why should they, right? It's going to be a bumpy ride. Already is. Everything is already different, and I don't like it. <laughs> New sheriff Change is hard. Both in the show and, and in real life. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, it's very, like, it's very real. You know, it's a very real thing of having... Uh, new particularly somebody like her who's in a kind of she's coming up in her career so like she is new to the 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 whole field of medicine and like is um, this is her first kind of attempt uh, or first uh, chance to really dip her toe into like the administrative side of things and like leading a team and doing that sort of thing and so like she comes in with you know all these great ideas and all these things she wants to change and I'm gonna like I'm going to be able to do this single-handedly. And I feel like that's a very real um, depiction of people in general when they first get into something new and when they first get a chance to kind of be in charge. Uh, they tend to come in with all of the great ideas and all the positivity in the world, not, you know, kind of realizing how the machine is going to grind them down and, and make blunt a lot of those good ideas going forward. And... Um, you know, we'll see that to a certain degree with her as we go forward. But it's just, I think it's a very real depiction of that sort of experience for somebody taking charge for the first time. Yeah, she reminds me of like every single bad retail manager I've ever had. <laughs> right. That like they when they first have it figured out. Like especially when they first come in, it's like, oh no, you bitches have been doing everything wrong. I, we're gonna do this the right way, and then we revert back to all the the stuff. Like they had like, I work re- yeah, I work retail for a living, and like. 
ev- without fail every single time everything just goes back to the way it was mm-hmm. like even when we had the, like this huge company-wide like initiative to streamline our processes everything went back to the way it was <laughs> within six months yeah and i just find it hilarious what I was going to say, though, is that it's really something to pay attention to this episode, is that Carrie really is trying to appeal to everyone and be her own version of diplomatic with everyone. Mm-hmm. And, like, there's moments where you can see she's clearly trying to be approachable with people, but she's just not good at people. Yeah, she's not a she's not a very gifted people person she's more detail oriented more behind the scenes type stuff and like i i relate to that quite a bit like i enjoy being the behind the scenes person who makes things work without having to be the front facing person and that is that's definitely what weaver is like she's so good at the details and so good at the medicine not only the medicine, but like the back-end administrative stuff. All the paperwork's going to get turned in on time. All the details are going to be taken care of in a way that even Mark couldn't keep up with. Um, but she's just not as good at the like person-to-person diplomatic stuff. But you're right, though. She is trying to sort of ingratiate herself to all the different cogs in the wheel. Like She's trying to get in good with Carol and the nurses. She's trying to, you know maintain that relationship with peter and the surgical staff like she's just trying to like please everybody and keep everybody happy and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out as we go along yeah and then you think about think about her now and like if this is her first taste of it and then you think of her in like season was it like nine or yeah season 10 when she finally becomes chief of the like er or like i forget if it's chief of the er specifically or if it's like I know she inherits the job from Romano. Isn't it chief of medicine or chief, or chief of staff? Chief of or staff, like that? yeah. Something. She chief, goes really high like, in the. Yeah, like I don't think she becomes like the head head honcho in the hospital, but she gets pretty fucking damn close. Yeah. Like so, clearly she has talent in this area. Now we just have to watch her her talents un- her talents develop and watch the the finer details of it come together well and that's exactly it is when they when morgan stern was like pick somebody who's going to complement your weaknesses mark's good with people mark's good with that front-facing stuff and carrie is very much the antithesis of that yeah she really is a perfect kind of you know mirror to mark like although I, the only the only caveat to that would be that i think she's equally as gifted as mark from the Mm -hmm. medicine side of things as we'll see later in the episode like she is very um she's definitely um got the skills on the medicine side of things i don't want to make it seem like she's like this good diplomat and this good um you know detail-oriented person but not so good at the actual hands-on medicine she's really she's a really good doctor but um she just deals with the detail stuff so much better than green does all right, so then going from there, we go up to um, the surgical suite, um, and we see Dr. Morgenstern once again. Um, and this is where we kind of get our little half-assed explanation for why he's back. Um, and I, watching this, was, like, pretty underwhelmed by this. Like, it was a very hand-wavy sort of explanation. I mean, I get, like, that he's not really important enough a character to warrant an entire episode or even an entire storyline around him coming back this is um this is pretty much all you're gonna get as far as um explanation for his absence and his return um basically he was strung along by the hospital in boston they uh, never really let him get out of the committee pro- uh, point of the hiring process and he just sort of kind of got strung along and he i think the way they d- the way they explain it is that he basically was thinking that he was further along than he was so he's thinking i've got the job i'm gonna move to boston when in reality he was still kind of in contention but hadn't actually received the job yet so now he's back and um, this is all taking place while him and carter are standing there uh, scrubbing in for surgery so carter we get more good physical comedy from carter as he's trying to like he i forget what it is he wants to talk to morgan stern about and morgan stern immediately starts talking about the the job situation and, and why he's back. I forget what Carter's initial like entry point is there, what he's trying to talk to him about. But 
Um, I th- it's pretty clear Morgan Stern just wants to bitch about this. I think he's trying to talk about the surgery itself, like trying to ingratiate yes, himself right. with Morgan exactly Stern. Like, is. this is what I know. Yeah, he's trying, like, trying so to... How about those arm veins, right. <laughs> essentially? So, yeah, that's where we're at. And like I said, that's pretty much all we're going to get in terms of... Uh, explanation for Morgan Stern's return. We do, unfortunately, never get any sort of resolution or explanation as to what happened with Swift. So I guess we're just mm. supposed to believe that, uh, you know, oh, Morgan Stern's back. We don't need Swift anymore. Bye. But we do. Yeah, we do. Because I, mean, I really, I don't think I've soured on a character harder so far than I have Morgan Stern. I really just don't give a shit about him anymore. Fair. Um, so from there, we get some spicy, spicy Bulentin. Um Jeannie and Peter are outside of the surgical um, room, the surgical room, the operating room, and they're kind of side-eye trying to figure out when they're going to hook up in there later that night, and Jeannie's like, well, I don't get out of class until 7, and, you know, Al gets home at 10, and Ben's like, well, why don't you come by about 8? And then, like, somebody comes, some someone comes by and they're awkward and Jeannie awkwardly goes well I recommend physical therapy and blah 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 like they're clearly trying to make it talk like they were talking about work and it's just it's so bald-faced and so fucking stupid and just ridiculous and so all of a sudden another great moment of physical comedy from Carter um Morgan's like why don't you go try and find Benton and so Carter goes and, like, sees him at the door of the surgical suite, and he can't go out because he's sterilized, and he can't knock because he's sterilized. So he's sitting there with his both his hands up, like, just like a, just up so they're out of the way of anything, and he just starts hitting his forehead on the glass of the door <laughs> to get Benton's attention. And Benton's like, oh, fuck, I gotta go. We'll figure it out. Kind of just kicked it. Had to be his head. Had to be he head bunk. And then smacks the door right into Carter's face, which yep, another added little touch that's just brilliant between those two. So good. And then from there, we go and we see Chloe comes in with little Susie, and Chloe's like, "I really have to go to my class. I'm running late. We're doing a bunch of programs this morning, and you know, I really, I, I can you take Susie to daycare? I really have to go." And Jerry's like, oh, I'm really good with with computers. I did, you know, XY Community College two years ago, and I'm I'm really good at that computer stuff. I can help you out. And Susie's like, oh, or Chloe's like, oh, thanks, and just throws baby Susie at uh, Susan, and runs off. So we'll find out what happens there and how Chloe's classes are going. But I think it's very sweet that Jerry's like, I can help. Team Jerry. Then we go actually into the operating room proper with Carter, Morgan Cern, and Benton. And Carter is stuck holding up the patient's arm during the surgery and continually questions like, hey, isn't there like a pulley system or something? Or is something it like, to hold this up. How long is this operation? Like all of this stuff because like they keep telling him like, keep it still, hold, keep holding it up. Like, And then Morgan Cern finally just kind of snick, uh, snickers and asks like, what did he do to Car- <laughs> uh, to Benton and he overslept and he overslept. So they all they both share a chuckle and Carter is left to just suffer and sweat. Carter is left holding the bag, metaphorically speaking. <laughs> left holding the arm. I know that. Yes, that was that's the joke. <laughs> and then we see Mark come in and he's whoa wearing dapper real civilian clothes and a belt. Daniel, see he learned. Um, he learned. He heard you complaining from 25 years in the future and fixed it. Um, he's complaining to Susan about his morning, and Susan and Doug are both giving him shit about um, choosing Carrie. They're like, oh, yeah, real great choice there, D- uh, Mark. Like, great job. Mark's like, has it, how has it been so far? Have you met Carrie? And Susan's like, oh, yeah, she's made an impression all right. Already warming up to, already warming up to her. Um, then we get a little more boo Linton. Uh, Jeannie, the, except this time, Jeannie is uh, calling her, her husband to tell him she's going to be home late because they changed the study group schedule, quote-unquote. Really, I just want to get with someone behind your back. It's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine here. This is fine. Jesus. Okay. And then um, Loretta, the sex worker from the last episode, is back with what they call the PID shuffle pelvic inflammatory disease 
And so it turns out she did have a point. We're going to learn what her point is this episode. Because who boy is it, is it great. Um, and then we see Doug's first patient, Byron, comes in with major burns on his arm. It's a little little boy with his mom. Um, we find out he set the room on fire. And his mom's like, um, it's a motel that we live in. Probably not going to be living there anymore. So... We're gonna we're gonna get psyched down to talk to him, and we're gonna find out what's going on with Byron hopefully soon. And then from there, we go back to Mark uh, with Loretta, who I, I kind of am sort of realizing here, like, are we are we sort of just tracing over season one here a little bit, like with Liz and Loretta, like like two episode arc rashes on the legs, like. Except Loretta is smart. Yeah, I mean she's smart and she's much less off putting than Liz was, but like it's still just like. I feel like we've done this before, <laughs> you know, I feel like we just like slapped a new coat of paint on it and called it good. But, um, regardless, um, uh, Mark is there with Loretta Harper and a male medical student number two, uh, who, um, we never see again after this episode, but he is sort of familiar looking, um, much more familiar to Lizzie, I think, than any of the rest of us. I looked through his IMDb and I thought I was going to see way more stuff that I had known him from, but really wasn't much. But what do you know him from, Lizzie? Um, I know him from Jericho. He is one of the deputies um, of the... He's one of the, the sheriff's deputies in that show. That is one of my favorite shows of all time. It's only two seasons. Go watch it. I'm pretty sure it's on Netflix or something like that. And hmm. if you like post-apocalyptic fiction, it's the best. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... Uh, the med student, um, the guy from Jericho, um, his character's name is Berinsky, um, and he is played by an actor named Richard Spate Jr., who, in addition to Jericho, has also made appearances in Supernatural and Band of Brothers. Um, and like I said, this is kind of a, a one-and-done appearance for him on here, but he is very familiar. Like, he's one of the – definitely, a, oh, hey, it's that guy. A very familiar-looking face when you see him pop up. Um and Loretta is just running circles around these two when it comes to diagnosis and treatment options for her PID. Like she clearly, this is not her first rodeo with this. Like she has been through this whole, um, kind of rigmarole before, and she knows the answers way before they do. Um, which I guess is kind of to be expected. Yeah. But I love how Mark just looks at the two students as Loretta shouts answers out before they do. And he's just like, come on, guys. She's like, patients should not be giving their differentials. You should be able to get this shit. Now, hey, she knows her own body. Well, that's fair. But any patient shouldn't be able to out-answer a doctor. They're med students. They're learning. I've out-answered medical professionals in my day, and I'm not even... I just... You, people Listen to your body, people. That's, that's what I'm saying. You're an advocate for yourself when you're seeing a doctor. Yeah, don't, don't be like me and walk out of the emergency room because they tell you you probably just have a sprained muscle only to find out two days later or like a week later that it was actually a herniated disc and that nobody bothered to do imaging. Advocate for yourself. Go Loretta. And then we get Susan gets a call from the daycare. She has to go get little Susie because little Susie has a fever and Susan is the contact on Chloe's days that she has class. So Susan has to take little Susie down to the ER um, we, we pass by Doug, who is wearing the most hideous tie today. The trend continues. Um, and Susan is fussing over little Susie, and she just kind of throws her at Doug to be examined. She's like, oh my god, little Susie has a fever. Can you please check her out? I think it might be this, or it might be this, or it might be this. And Doug's like, whoa, 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 slow down. And he just takes little Susie and holds her and is like, she's not really burning up. She's a little warm. But he's like, let your friendly neighborhood pediatrician take a look. And at this moment... All of women's ovaries in 1995 exploded because, as we've mentioned before, <laughs> George Clooney holding babies is catnip for housewives. What happens next? Yeah, we walk. We from there we move on to uh, Shep and Carol, just sort of walking down the hallway talking, and then Carrie comes in and tells Shep that the 14-year-old uh, uh, gunshot wound, the person that they brought in earlier, his victim's family has, uh, uh, is here, and she wants Shep to tell them that the kid's dead because he quote-unquote knew the family 
Because Shep was, like, vaguely familiar with the area because he treated him before a few times. Yeah, he knew the kid's, like, and street name. He didn't He didn't know his... Yeah. Or I think he kind of knows his real name. He was like, I think it's Carlos, but I'm not sure. Like, he's he's sort of passively familiar with him, but he doesn't know him. Yeah. He, he goes, I didn't know the family. This is not what I... This is not what I do to Carol. And Carol's obviously, like, what the fuck? I'll do what I can because... The people don't speak English, so Carol's doing her best to... Or wait, who's translating? Shep uh, is translating. No. Yes. Yeah. Carol's speaking English, Shep is translating. Yeah, so the folks don't speak English, so Shep is doing his best to translate what Carol is saying. Um, and the mother, well, assuming the mother, looks pretty broken up, but the daughter just looks... Got thousand a thousand-yard stare going on, just looks very vacant, and... It's just a weird, awkward, like there's like a just a weird, awkward tension to it, and I, I, I don't like it. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, it's I, bad. I do, I do think that's intentional. I mean, I think it's intended yeah. to be weird and awkward, and I mean, I, I do feel compelled to point out that like Shep is is translating, but he is translating in the same way that most suburban white dads translate, quote unquote, at a Mexican restaurant when they're ordering. Like it's <laughs> very like necesito. Un banya. Like, it's very, like, you know, suburban white boy. Um, but he's doing his best as an urban paramedic. He's doing his best, yeah. Um, yeah, of all of the things that, like, Carrie kind of does in this episode, like, all of the, like, as you said, meddling she does and all the, like, regulating and why don't we try this? Why don't we try that? This is the one that I really, like, disagreed with pretty strongly. Like, even if he's got a passing, you know, familiarity with the family or the victim whatever that's not in a paramedic's job description to be giving that kind of news to a victim's family so you know i mean and and depending on the the way it's set up like legally like he's not even technically an employee of the hospital so i mean he should not be put in that situation at all i mean i know carol's there with him who is an employee of the hospital so that kind of covers them in that respect but it's just like that was just not professional and not kind of ethically right i don't think you know as as difficult of a conversation as that might be she needs to be the one having that conversation or or susan or or one of the people that was in the room working on him not not the paramedic who brought him in like that just to me was all sorts of wrong yeah and i also love that when this happens at first um carol and shep are carrying armfuls of supplies and Shep's like, you know, this is so much better than those private hospitals because county just lets you steal stuff. And um, Carrie's like, what are you stealing? <laughs> and then she goes, it's a joke. <laughs> Completely straight faced the whole time. That's the joke. That's, That's the, the joke. joke. And I just, I love, I love Carrie so much. This is what humans do, right? Humans joke. Yeah. Ha 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 ha. Pretty much. She gets better. She does. But little baby Carrie just does not know what's going on. Um, and then Carter is giving Benton a run-up on one of the patients he's examined down in the ER for a surgical consult. He successfully identifies that there's a hernia, and Benton's like, all right, come on, let's get him up to the ER. No time to wait. No time to waste. Yeah. Good job. Words are fucking hard. Gives him, like, a good catch, Carter. Like... Yeah. Little pat on the back. Senpai noticed him, finally. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) Um... So then we jump over from there uh, and find out that Susan has dispatched Bob to track down Chloe uh, so that uh, she can come get little Susie. So she's asked her to uh, call over to Chloe's school and pull her out of class and bring her back so that uh, she can take little Susie home. And Bob returns and drops the bombshell that Chloe's school says she has not been there in three weeks and that she has dropped out. God damn it, Chloe. God damn it. God damn it. Fucking God. Uh, you had one job. One job. So, yeah, when things are not looking good for Chloe. Uh, not sure what she's been doing for the last three weeks, but it ain't been going to school. Um, and then just quickly, um, I wanted to note here, um, otherwise not a significant patient in this episode, but um, because of a role he would later go on to play that is kind of rel- is notable to me, um, there's a jaundiced alcoholic patient that they're working on. Um, it's kind of in that continuing cycle of Mark working with Harper and the uh, other medical student trying to 
help them sharpen their, their diagnostic skills. They're working with this alcoholic patient who's um, pretty jaundiced, so he's kind of yellow. Um, he's played by an actor named Harrison Young, um, who you may recognize. He's considerably younger here, but you may recognize him from a few years later um, as old Matt Damon at the end of Saving Private Ryan when they do the little like age transition where he goes from young Matt Damon on the battlefield to old Matt Damon standing in front of his friend's grave. Um, that's this guy. And uh, hmm. that's the only only thing that's even remotely notable on his IMDb. Other than that, he did one episode of ER and was old Matt Damon in Saving Private Ryan. And he also passed away in 2005, so he's no longer with us. All right. Well, then after that, um, get our next audio clip of this episode. Uh, Mark is trying to trying to lift Susan up a little bit, or trying to trying to get her roused again because she's just sort of on the floor with little Susie and just is just. So done. Why don't you give me a hand? Susan? Susan? Bob tells me you've been sitting here for 20 minutes? Wait, are you in some kind of a fugue state? We've got a drama coming in. A bank robber. Some little old lady mowed him down while he was fleeing the scene. Hit him with her car. It's all very exciting. Malik will watch the baby. Can we get that spin-off episode? I would like to see Malik uh, watching the baby. I would like I would like Baby's Day Out starring Malik. <laughs> yes. Oh, that'd be amazing. But just Mark Mark trying to trying to encourage her, like, we got a really fucking cool trauma. Come on. In a very hushed voice. Yeah. And I love Bob just next to him like we got it. It's okay. <laughs> Why does Bob have to get Bob? <laughs> um, and then we go and we check in on Carter and Harper. They are in a, one of the side exam rooms and Harper is practicing sticking him with IVs um, <laughs> while he talks about his morning surgery and how well it went. Um, and he's like bragging about some of the cool stuff he actually did get to do with the hernia and like how they didn't really need him for the morning surgery. He's like not telling them, oh, I had to hold an arm for three hours. He's just like, yeah, they didn't really need me too much on that one. So I mostly got to observe. But then for the hernia, he's like, yeah, I got to do a bovie, which I don't know what that means, but. And he is totally pulling a bent in here and changing like the cadence yes. of his voice. <laughs> he is so trying to get in her pants. Like, yeah. it's just, it's so, oh my God, Carter, like, yeah, he's baby. Come on, he's such a little tool bag in this this whole scene. Like he's just so smarmy. Yeah, and then um, Benton walks in, and Carter immediately like stands at attention with all these <laughs> fucking IVs sticking out of his arms. And Benton just looks at him for a minute, and just kind of like, "What the fuck?" But then walks like I, I don't know if he says something like, "Hey, we gotta go surgery or something," but he he then just walks out, and Carter's like, "Oh shit, not again." Like, why does everything look wrong? <laughs> so, um, yeah, those IVs are just disgusting. He has, like, eight of them. And then, and she's like, do you think I could practice drawing your blood later? <laughs> He's like, yeah, sure. Um, I better get laid, But sure. then, <laughs> then we go and we check out that super cool trauma that Mark was talking about. And they're, um cutting open this bank robber's clothes so they can actually work on him and we find out he's a younger kid and suddenly as Susan's cutting something open like they find a bunch of money and like inside his clothes like in his pant legs and stuff and they're like oh do you think they'll notice if we keep it and then Carol's cutting something open and all of a sudden she hits the ink tag that's in like the bags of money and just this green Nickelodeon slime <laughs> explodes all over her and everyone's just super f- fucking snippy with each other during this trauma like she's yelling at connie um carrie snipping her. was carrie in here for that yeah carrie uh mm-hmm. we, yeah. in there um and it's yeah. just like susan is like at the end of her rope here like she had to be talked into coming into this trauma in the first place and then she comes in there and gets slime basically yeah yeah so everybody's also just really bitchy with each other during this too so once once the ink explodes it's kind of like the tension releasing in the room and they're all just kind of like well glad i'm not susan Mm. and you can just feel the like 
rage coming out of her silently. Like, she's just seething. That ink should be steaming. Yeah. So then we cut over um, to the ambulance, and Carol is uh, using a wet nap to, like, wipe herself down. It's clearly hot and sweaty inside that ambulance, and uh, Shep has thoughts on this. He's uh, admonishing her for it. He's like, wet naps are for wimps. And I just had to ask, fellas, is it gay to wipe off sweat? (laughs) (laughs) How far do we have to take the toxic masculinity thing to the point where you can't even wipe off sweat? Uh, but, uh, they, they make a a stop off at Navy pier to see another ambulance has already taken care of the call. They were on their way to, um, it's a a patient with heat exhaustion, um, that was mistakenly diagnosed as a seizure, uh, because they were speaking like a foreign language, I think was the the thing that yeah Lithuanian, they were speaking Lithuanian. And then the, um, ticket taker on the ride kind of mistook the Lithuanian for, um, a seizure, like speaking in tongues, I guess. I don't know. It's all very, nobody's, nobody understands what they're, they're talking about in this scene. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's where we leave off with the, uh, paramedics for now, but we will return to them. So then we have our next little audio for this episode. Carter is, Carter and Benson are inexplicably back in the cafeteria, which we like never see them in the cafeteria in the ever really. And now we've seen it twice in one episode. But Carter is getting a mount, an absolute mountain of soft serve, while Benson's getting his fruit nonsense. I mean, fruit's good, but <laughs> I'd rather have soft serve. And Carter's arms are just covered in bandages. So let's listen into them talking. You did excellent work today, Carter. Huh. A lot of students freeze up on their first Bowie, but you were calm, steady. Morgan Stern was impressed. Really? So was I, vaguely. Polydocal lithotomy, first thing in the morning. And then uh, I, I can scrub in? 7 a.m. Dr. Ben, about the IV thing that happened. Carter, just don't oversleep. Right. I'd always heard banks put die in with stolen money. Well, guess it's better than being puked on. But, uh, harder to get out, I hear. Yeah. Don't suppose we get to keep the money. God knows kind of could use it, huh? Oh, don't suppose. I understand your niece has a cold. Hmm. Of fluids and fever control measures. Yeah, Malik's looking after her in room five. I saw her. She is quite adorable. Thank you. Susan, you got a little spot right there on your chin. I had so much anxiety uh, going back to the uh, cafeteria. I had so much anxiety about the amount of soft serve that was dripping down Carter's hand the whole time yep. there. I was just like, that's very sticky. That's disgusting. Please go wash your hands. Like the, the whole time it was very distracting. And in that little like interlude where there, no one's really talking and you just have the background noise of the cafeteria, he again goes to sit at the little kid's table and just like is looking and like smiling and sort of laughing along with the people at the big table and like to himself. Awkwardly and... eating his ice cream. God, the sweet baby Carter. Yeah, Carter. 2.0. Come on. Ugh. And in the bathroom, like with Carrie and Susan, like I was, ve- I was sort of disappointed to see Weaver kind of lose her nerve there, like to where she was. She wanted to try to reach out to Susan and and have sort of a human interaction and like go a little bit further, and she just kind of loses her nerve, and then she's just sort of like, "Yeah, you got something on your chin," like. But yeah, this was the scene I was talking about where I where I said that she really does try to reach out to people and like be nice in her own way. Mm-hmm. She's just not good at it. No. But she will get better. That's the important part. Yay. So then we go back to uh, Carol and Shep. This time they have uh, gotten off the ambulance and they are now on the Ferris wheel. And he is terrified of heights. You know, it's totally manly to be afraid of heights, but not to wipe off sweat. That's where that's where they draw the line. Um. And I just wanted to point out from a technical standpoint, um, it must be really, really hot that day because uh, like half of Carol's snow cone that she's eating, they're both eating snow cones, by the way, uh, like half of Carol's snow cone disappears in about five seconds. Like the shot, like from Shep's perspective, they cut back to to Carol and then back to Shep, like in the space of like two cuts, we lose like half of Carol's snow cone. 
Um, but yeah, that's about it for their little their little ride on the uh, Ferris wheel. Clearly, Shep is trying to impress Carol here because otherwise he would not be up on this uh, this big ass Ferris wheel monstrosity. I bet they have a thing for a little bit here. Oh, you think? Um, so from there, we carry back to um, the case with the arson boy Byron. Um, earlier in the episode, Doug had asked Halei to get a hold of a psychiatrist that's not on call at the moment, but who owes him a favor. And here, the mom of the of Byron barges in while Doug is working with another patient. And she's like, I gotta leave for work or I'm gonna be fired. She's like, can you please just look after him for a little bit? I'll be back and get him later, but I really need this job. And he's like, okay, fine. Um, and she's like, she's like, yeah, we can't wait for that, for that psychiatrist any, or she's like, Doug's like, well, he still needs to see the psychiatrist before we can discharge him. And she's like, oh, well, he's in there with him right now. Doug's like, what? (laughs) So Doug goes to check on that after the mom leaves. And it's not, um, Jack Harper, I think is the name of the psychiatrist that he had called. It's a resident that was called down by Carrie because, like, she wants somebody who can actually note stuff on the charts, which we'll get into a little bit later. But while Doug is out in the hall yelling at this poor resident, uh, there's a fire. (laughs) We hear Lydia scream, fire! (laughs) And uh, Doug runs in and helps put it out, and Byron has set another fire. And then Doug sits on the floor with him, and Byron is just sitting there wailing, where's my mom? Where's my mom? So clearly this child has some separation anxiety. Yes. Whew, no kidding. Yeah, it's a raging fire, too. It's not like a little, like, oh, he burnt a piece of paper. Like, the curtains are fully up. Like, the whole room is almost engulfed in flames. It's a huge fire. But it does carry over the continuity from season one that the hospital has no sprinkler system because the sprinklers do not go off. Doug has to get a, a fire extinguisher and put the, the fire out that way. So a little bit of continuity there. Interesting. You mean they can actually have continuity of stuff what? in the show? Weird. I know. Um, then we, next we get uh, the next layer of Boo Linton. But yeah, we have uh, Jeannie. Her car has broken down. She's in the uh, parking garage. And Benton just does his little stroll up to stroll up to her car. And is like, why didn't you call me? I would have helped. And then uh, the um, car hood closes. And oh, hi, it's Al. Dun, dun, dun. And they have this just really awkward greeting not awkward for al because al has no fucking idea that this is the dude that's giving it to his wife every night <laughs> but but just ever but just genie is just like oh god and benton's like oh god and uh this is our first like real apparent appearance of al and who plays him uh it's Damn. uh so yeah as, as lizzie mentioned this is the first appearance of real al because we remember um Towards the end of season one, Peter uh, went to Jeannie's house and uh, Al answered the door. And at that point, he was played by a different actor who looks nothing like this guy. Like, they could not be more different looking. Um, and I do think this is the better Al. Like, they, they went with the right Al going forward. But um, uh, this this Al is played by Michael Beach, um, who is going to be with us for uh, 19 episodes over the course of, I would say, like the next two to three seasons. Um, so he's not like a super, super important character. I mean, he is story-wise, but a lot of Al's importance is unspoken and unseen. Like, we, we hear more about Al um, and what he's doing and done than we really get to see him. Um but we'll we'll have Al with us for a little while here, and uh, yeah, this is going to be the Al from here on out. All right, and then we go back, and Byron's mom has come back, and she's like, "Fuck it, you can't help him. I'm just going to take him to work. I'll come back for his follow up appointments for his arms, but like, we can't wait around for this. I'll do him justice, bring him back in for his follow ups, but he's not hanging around here." Look what you've done. He's already set a fire because you guys can't be trusted to watch him. So she checks him out AMA. AMA, They're going to go stay with her, what, cousin or sister? Something like that. Something like that. A not ideal situation. Right. So that's the end of Byron for this episode. And we get some some interesting consequences for this a little bit later. And then uh, we get a brief scene with Carol talking to... um, 
Bob, actually. She has finished her ride along for the day. She's not fully changed because like we, I don't know if we've mentioned it all but like this whole episode she's been running around in like a pair of jeans and like a wife beater and which is sort of questionable sort of attire just functionally for a paramedic like I'm sure it's probably warm out there and that's probably a, a big part of it but like just from a personal protective standpoint like you could be getting exposed to certain things you could have puncture risks like it just seemed like a sleeveless shirt was probably not the best choice for she for sh- carol she should at least be in scrubs yeah i would think so um but here we've got her in the full canadian tuxedo uh she is <clears throat> denim from head to toe like jeans jean shirt like the the whole nine yard or uh, jean jacket the whole nine yards jean shirt would be amazing um no way. Are you kidding? <laughs> I mean, sounds if you're going to go, just go all out. Uh, this is the 90s. We can do whatever we want. There's a surplus. Apparently. Um, and so the, the really important, otherwise this is kind of a nothing scene, but the really, really important takeaway here is that I hope you enjoyed it because this is the end of Bob. No. Yeah, this is the very last appearance of Bob. Uh, Bob has finally gotten bobbed. And this is a perfect example of the type of thing I'm talking about. She has this very nothing interaction with Carol um, and just walks away. And that's the last time you ever see her or hear her name mentioned again. She will never, they will never address this. They will never say, Hey, what happened to Bob? You know, not even the way like Div got mentions after he was gone. Nothing. We just, I could have, I could have sworn she was on longer. And I know we've talked about this every time we talk about Bob being bobbed, but I could have sworn. I thought too. I thought we were, I think I'm getting her confused with Linda Farrell too. Cause Linda Farrell to me seems like she should already be gone, but she actually has a couple of more appearances to burn off. Whereas Bob is just done. So yeah, this is, um, this is sad for me. Cause I'm like, I've gone on record as saying that I was a big fan of Bob's potential as a character. And I thought that, especially with this episode they seem like they were giving her a little bit more to do and it almost seemed like a little bit of a trial run of like hmm could we maybe do other things with this character going forward no this is it never see her again and that's disappointing pour one out for bob we hardly knew ye um and then we get the, some of those uh consequences that lauren mentioned just a little bit ago and what i the audio clip that i have dug carrie versus doug round one so let's fight. We tend to run out of Vicryl before nylon, and the lidocaine with the epi is always low, and the 25-gauge nails are plastic. Carrie, excuse me, but would this be a good time? Thank you, Dr. Carter. I appreciate your staying late. Sure. Who the hell gave you the right to call in a psych resident on one of my patients? The nine-year-old pyromaniac seemed appropriate. We were waiting for Jack Chandler, who, as I think you know, specializes in children. Chandler's not on call today. He was giving me a curbside not console. Not on the curb, Doug. He was going to stop by, Carrie. He me. owes me a favor. You're asking an extremely distraught nine-year-old and his extremely distraught mother to hang around, delay treatment, so you're going to have somebody come by and chat? So instead, you send in some prepubescent resident who upsets the kid so much he sets the curtains on fire. He set the curtains on fire because you left him alone. If Chandler comes in on a curbside, he's not going to write anything in the chart. He's not going to be responsible for any follow-up. Where does that leave the kid? And where's that kid left now? His mother took him out of here AMA. And whose fault is that? The psych resident was not managing this case, Doug. You were. I'm out of here. Doug, I said that I'm off. Doug, come on, wait a minute, okay? Did I miss something here today? Let's just say that the last train to Milwaukee is in 48 minutes, and I plan to be on it. So now's not a good time to tell you you got a blunt trauma to the chest pulling up to the back door. See you tomorrow. Oi. Oh, Douglas. I mean, Carrie brings up a good point, though. Yeah, no, I think they both have good points, honestly. What's Doug's good point? (laughs) That this kid clearly needs a more specialized kind of care. Yeah, instead of getting pawned off on a resident. It's, I don't know, it, this this is illustrative of what I was so excited about for bringing um, a character like Weaver in, is to really give him someone to push back against and do more than just Clooney smirk, which I feel like is what he spent most of <laughs> season one doing, is just... Clooney smirking and being trash chasing after Carol like now like he's there's no hint of romantic interest here he does not see her in that way so this is a purely adversarial relationship and I am 100% here for it because it gives 
him something to do that's not being a trash bag and is not being smug and arrogant like he can just really get dig dig down deep into like the angry Clooney stuff which can sometimes be sometimes some of his best work um and then we go into the lounge and we check on Susan cradling little Susie and Connie comes in and Susan's like oh I'm afraid to put her in her little like um carrier's the wrong word what do you I don't know it's a carrier like, like it's a yeah I guess yeah. um um, but she can't she can't really get her into the into the seat because she's passed out and Susan's afraid if she moves her that she'll wake up and she'd just stop crying. And Connie's like, I got two at home and another one on the way and sometimes you just gotta move them. And Susan's like, I didn't know you were expecting. And Connie's like, nobody did. I guess I just told like I guess I just told you as the first person. So weirdly, Connie's pregnant. Let's see if that becomes a thing. Um, I feel like it does. Yeah, let's make a note. Does does this carry through? I feel like it does because I feel like it's real. Like, I feel like the actress okay. really was pregnant because I feel like they were not able to hide it. And so, like, they had to just say, like, yeah, she's having a baby. Like, but not not make okay. a big deal out of it. Like, we're not going to meet her baby and when it's not going to be a character, but there's going to be a pregnant nurse. She's deal a with baby. it. Right. Okay. We'll, we'll see. Um, but, yeah, so she helps her get little Susie into the into the little carrier and then that's pretty much the end of the scene and then we we managed to squeeze one last little trauma in before the end of the episode uh, we have a football hel- a football player rather who took a helmet to his solar plexus so kind of the middle part of your chest kind of area just below the the sternum um, so he's having trouble breathing um, and this is where you really get to see Weaver shine on the medicine side of things like she might be an awkward you know battle axe when it comes to dealing with um the other doctors and you know doug and susan like but but when it comes to the medicine side and working with patients she can actually be quite good um and so she is so good here talking this kid through um that they're going to be doing a pericardiocentesis try to say that five times fast um which is basically they're going to stick a big ass needle into the sack around his heart to drain out um, blood and fluid that has collected around the, uh, the heart um, and is causing it to beat improperly. So she walks him through the whole procedure as she's doing it. She's calm as a cucumber, just is like gets in, does what she needs to do. And, and all the while, not only is she talking the patient in uh, through it, but she also calls Carter in for a closer look and is kind of doing the teaching um, as well as kind of soothing and walk and you know making the patient feel at ease like she's really juggling a lot of different roles here um, and does a really really good job with it and I think it's a very important and a very um, good example of kind of the character building with Weaver like we're really establishing a lot about her character in this episode yeah I would also like to point out the fact that she does that blind mm-hmm. which yep. I, which I feel like feel like you would only do that in like an extremely emergent situation like if the dude was like literally about to go into cardiac arrest and die i don't know it just it just seems extreme that you would stick a needle in someone's a big ass needle in someone's chest to try to get near their heart but not in their heart without some sort of guidance yeah. unless you absolutely 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 had to i don't know that just she was very bit. casual about it that's to say the least yeah um but then after that Got our second to last audio of the episode. Um, Susan has come home and is confronting Chloe. When were you going to tell me? I tried, Susie. I really did. Hey, I got another job for a couple of days waitressing. Made 110 bucks. <laughs> School was too hard. They had all these different programs. You had to move this file into this file. And it just it made me feel so stupid. All the other girls in the class, they already knew how to type. And how to write business letters. I always thought a letter was like a letter, you know? <laughs> they had all the right clothes. I didn't have any of that stuff, except for what I borrowed from you. And even then, it doesn't look right on me. I really wanted this for Susie and to show you that I could do it. 
didn't tell you. Because I knew that I would disappoint you. And because I thought that just maybe this time I wasn't going to screw up. Happened to the waitressing job. Good night, Chloe. I don't know whether to feel sorry for Chloe or not. I would feel sorry for her if she had ever bothered to communicate about the struggles she was having. Yeah. And to actually reach out and be like, man, Susie, this is really hard. Like, can you help me? Can we find somebody to help me? Can you at least, like, talk to me about this to make me feel a little better? Can we maybe buy me some decent clothes? Like, there are so many ways that she could have navigated the situation other than just, it's too hard, I quit. And then lie about it for almost a month. And then lie about it. Yeah. I think that's why I have trouble feeling sympathy for her. Yeah. It's because she had the resources to get help. She had the support network. She has Susan. But I can also relate to the feeling of like having access to that sort of support network and not utilizing it at all because you're scared of disappointing people. Fair, but I'm just saying that's why I have trouble feeling sorry for her because in this in this rare instance, she actually did have help. Fair enough. Fair enough. I love how Susan's just like, good night. <laughs> Susan is beyond done with everyone's shit. <laughs> She's been taken advantage of for three weeks to watch little Susie essentially be back up for little Susie. That's the other thing. I can't feel sorry for her because, like, Susan works a fucking full-time hard-ass doctor job. And what the fuck has Chloe been doing on her class days? Just taking advantage of Susan's kindness and time. Not great. So, not great. And then, from there, we see Mark again running through Union Station. Running down the open platform as the train pulls away. This time he misses it. Just... And then we have our final. And then we have our final scene of the episode. Uh, a little more Boo Lenton for you today. Um, Benton is waiting for Jeannie on his door. Is waiting on his doorstep in the pouring rain for Jeannie, and they have a wistful conversation. Enjoying the view. I'm glad you came by. I wasn't sure you would. I wasn't sure you'd want me to. No, no, no. I'm glad I, uh... Look, you know, Jeannie, I, uh, I thought I could do this, but, uh... We can't. I know. We talked about all this before. It's just, it's hard. Yeah, well, so is this. You got to tell him. You got to tell him. Okay, maybe wistful was the wrong word. <laughs> Melancholy. Uh, Dramatic. Breathless. Acting. Yeah, just uh, just trash fire. Both of these. Both of these two. They're just just dumpster fire people right now. Like maybe don't. Just maybe just stop. Maybe that's a, the third option here is, you know, maybe just don't see each other until both of you are single and not married. I mean, I know Benton's not at all, but like, just it's not that hard, guys. Come on. Shit or get off the pot. Good episode. Yeah, solid episode. It's it, I, I like how much it establishes for Weaver. I think she's kind of the standout of the episode um, and, and rightfully so. I mean, she's the newest character and we need to establish her in a, a big way. Um, I think Carter does well in this episode. I think I think there's a lot to like. There's, um, I think there's a lot of balls in the air. I think there's a lot of stuff they're trying to establish and trying to get started for season two, and so as a result, certain things do get lost in the shuffle, and it it feel ends up feeling kind of jumbled. Um, that keeps it from being a really great episode, but I still think it's very solid. I feel like it was just a really bit of a mixed bag for me. I thought it was I thought it was okay. 
It's not my favorite, that's for sure. But I would do, and I would give uh, Carter MVP of the episode over Weaver, personally. Yeah, you know, he's he's a solid two number two for me. Like he's he the the times that he's on screen, he does very very well in a variety of ways. I also find it really interesting um, with the Carter and we the few Carter and Weaver interactions that we get this episode. It's just kind of interesting watching those and then knowing how important their friendship becomes down the line. Mm-hmm. And how much she cares for him and helps him through his rough patches. Yeah, I think that's that's it's my just... favorite part, I think, of watching going back and watching these early season episodes again is seeing the like seeds get planted for things that'll pay off years down the road. Mm-hmm. You know, it's cool to for see. Sure. And, 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 and on the flip side of that, too, it's also cool to see the stuff that doesn't carry through, you know, see the stuff that, you know, they, they abandon very early on. Bob. Bob. Uh, Bob. But now we have our patron saint. She is ascended along with all the ones we we talked about on the season one wrap up. Uh, Bob herself gets bobbed. Uh, and we will miss her dearly. All right. Well, that should just about wrap up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening. As always, this show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash setting the tone podcast for only a dollar a month. You can get access to our show notes each week. Higher tier rewards once unlocked will include special season recap episodes, a monthly bonus show called the lounge where we'll talk about whatever's going on for us in our lives and the pop culture in that moment, and monthly movie commentaries, where we watch and talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member. We would also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at SetTheToneER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at Facebook.com slash SettingTheTonePodcast, and we are at SettingTheTonePodcast on Instagram. Our theme music, as always, is provided to us by Andrew Edwards, a blue police box music. And Danny, where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u, that is Y-O-U dot E-L. Uh, you can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each week uh, and put it through a little mock trial. And Laura, where can folks find you at? Folks can find me live tweeting about the dangers of baking sourdough bread from scratch on my personal Twitter at lowbob92345. And you can also find me on Twitter. I am at randomgamer, that's G-A-M-3-R. <laughs> Thank you again, everyone, very much for listening. Uh, Please join us again next time, and have a great week. Mm